Hey guys, uh, welcome to the Monica Klein Show on the Bridge Christian Talk Radio. I'm one of the nation's foremost experts on comprehensive sex education. I'm a graduate of psychology from the University of Texas at Austin, and I'm currently working towards my master's in pastoral counseling. I'm the founder of It Takes a Family, and I'm also a public speaker. I have the answers to the tough issues facing families today, and my goal is to encourage parents to reclaim parenthood, and in doing so, become their children's greatest advocates and educators. And I want to thank ItTakesAFamily.org for sponsoring this show today. So you're you're probably going to see me here on the computer, and I'm going to be using quite a few um, uh different tools. So bear with me. And um, we have a really exciting uh, show today because I have a guest. So you're not going to listen to me the whole time. Isn't that nice? Um, And you're going to just really enjoy that because this is a really special person that I met um, at a um, conference and it it was, it was wonderful. So um, I just, I can't wait for you to meet her. Her name is Erin Brewer. And, um, and she is actually um, a former trans kid. And, and that's what she calls herself. I, I, I didn't call her that. <laughs> that's on her business court, um, card. And she experienced child sexual abuse. Um, and the trauma caused her to have not only PTSD, but gender dysphoria. And so many victims of abuse experience uh, PTSD. Not everyone experiences gender dysphoria, and if they do, it's in different degrees. And she's going to be with us today to talk about that. Now, <clears throat> we're going to have her come in in the next segment. And uh, but, but before we start, I think some of you may not have heard about exactly what gender dysphoria is. And so you're probably wondering about that. And, um, and, but you've heard about it because it's being taught in schools. It's all over social media. Kids are learning about it on YouTube, through their phones, through TikTok, through various apps. It is something that is really a transgender movement and it's happening across the globe. And so um, what it is, is that gender dysphoria disorder um, has been considered a disorder for for quite some time. But in 2013, the American Psychological Association changed the name from gender dysphoria uh, disorder in the DSM-5. They changed it to just being gender dysphoria. And that the reason that they did that was they wanted to destigmatize it and basically say, no, this isn't a disorder. This isn't a problem. It's something that happens to people. It's a real thing. And we just need to affirm them. In other words, oh yeah, you're right. You're not born in the correct sex. You know, your, your sex, your biological sex is male, but you feel like a female and that is real. Um, meaning we need to affirm that and we need to help you with that and give you hormones to change your body um, and surgery even to change the body. <clears throat> and so what we're seeing today is that the, the, I wouldn't say that every counselor in the country or in the world accepts this and wants to affirm this, but we do have a huge movement, uh, probably a coalition of in the LGBTQ community and the transgender community that are, um, that have decision-making power within the American Psychological Association, and they've been able to change these things in our DSM-5. So those are the kind of things that we're facing today. So when we just destigmatize it, and we decide that we want to affirm this, then we're going to find that we're going to see this not only being promoted in the media and in social media, but we're going to see it promoted in our schools, and we're going to see it promoted among children. 
And so that is, that's when we start really getting into some trouble. So Erin experienced gender dysphoria as a child, um, but with the full support of her family, she was able to overcome it peacefully. Um, and she is, like I said, going to join us in the, in the next segment to tell us more about that and really to speak into parents, not only in our hearts and in our minds, to help us understand the, this condition and to also understand a compassionate response to this. How do we compassionately respond to children and families going through this? Um, now, the disorder is real. Um, people really do experience this. It's not, I mean, it is in their mind. Um, they, they do experience it. They do struggle with it. Um, it it's definitely a lot of cognitive dissonance. You know, they, they see their body as it is, but their mind tells them something different. And great majority of the case studies of people experiencing gender dysphoria, it turns out that there's, it's always linked to some kind of childhood trauma. Um, it doesn't have to be child sexual abuse. Um, it, it may not even seem overly traumatic to an adult. Uh, one of the cases that I heard about was a little boy who started identifying as a girl and he was very young, like a toddler. And he um, started identifying as a girl. And when he, his parents took him to a counselor who was able to just do simple talk therapy to find out why this little boy was feeling this way, it turns out that he wanted to be a little girl because he had a little baby sister and she was getting all the attention. And in his child, like mind, he, all he had was his own, you know, mind and his own experiences to glean from. He thought, well, if mom and dad are excited about a little girl, a baby girl, then if I become a girl, they're going to love me and give me attention too. So, um, so he started identifying as a girl. And so when the counselor discovered that he was able to talk to the parents about ways that they could spend time with him and help him through that gender dysphoria um, and basically give him special time with dad, special time with mom, give him the attention that he was needing and affirming who he is, body and mind, as a boy, because that's his biological sex. Every chromosome in our body has the, either an XX or an XY. And, and so in boys, it's an XY and in girls, it's an XX. It's, uh, I read some studies recently that even your teeth, you can find that even in your teeth. So, so it's in our body. Every cell of our body has our chromosomes of our sex. And so this little boy was able with, with um, having more attention from his parents and being and affirmed as a boy, he became comfortable and realized mom and dad do love me and they love my little sister too. And it's okay. Uh, and he was, and he, it was resolved. It was resolved from him for him. The problem is, is that nowadays we have a lot of counselors and a lot of medical doctors who would say, absolutely do not affirm that he believes he's a girl and we must affirm that he's a girl. Um, and even to the point of taking away parental rights. And so those are the kind of things that I want to talk about today to ensure that you are doing everything within your power and together to ensure that the laws of our country and, and within our states are not changed so that our children are being um, basically taken over by a school or taken over by the medical community and being told uh, that they can get hormone treatment or surgeries and change their entire bodies. Um, and, and we don't want that happening. So we're going to have Erin here to talk a little bit about what that experience was like for her and her advice to parents. Um, so the, the, let's talk a little bit about the heart piece because it's important that we are able to compassionately respond 
two families that are going through this situation. So this isn't about us against them. This isn't about, um, now we know that there's a spiritual realm that we're fighting in, but this is really about being able to compassionately respond like Jesus compassionately responds to us. So when we're living a life, whether you, you know, of sin, or if we're living in a way that is not healthy for us, which in God's eyes would be sin, um, he compassionately responds to us and we want to be able to do the same for them. But here's the clincher. Now, as y'all know, I'm a former comprehensive sex educator and all of, I did all of that for over 10 years and I was immersed in the gay culture. I even started a transgender support group in that time. And I did all of that out of compassion. I truly love this community that felt that they were marginalized, that they were ignored. And so I did that out of compassion. Um, But the big difference is when I became a Christian, all of a sudden I realized that my compassion without the wisdom of God, without truth, without medical accuracy was, was not helpful. So we can have compassion, but without truth, that compassion can lead down some dark paths. In other words, I was taught by Planned Parenthood and by, by the entire you know, community of sex education in this whole field is meet people where they're at. And so, for example, if you're doing drugs, okay, well, I'm going to meet you where you're at. You're on the street. I'm get, <clears throat> I know that you're an intravenous drug user. You're at risk for many things, not just HIV. But the compassionate approach apparently is to just do risk reduction, which is to meet that person where they're at. They don't want to get off the drugs, which most addicts don't want to at the time. Um, And so I was really just to teach them how to continue doing drugs, but do it safer. In other words, here's how you clean your needles. Um, Here's the alcohol you can use. Here's the cleaning kit you can use. I can tell you not to share those needles, or I can guide you over here to this van called the needle exchange, where you can exchange your dirty needles for new needles. And so that's meeting some where someone where they're someone where they're at and leaving them in their addiction. Now I know that addiction is very difficult. Um, so you know to talk about that is hard. Um, but we don't want to leave people there, and we don't want to leave our children in a position to question one to start helping them question their their gender identity, um, and then leading them into hormone treatments and surgeries that would basically mutilate their bodies and cause them to be infertile their whole lives. And so those those, those are some of the things that I want to talk about. So as Christians, we have a great advantage because we can speak about compassion with God's truth, which means we can help meet people where they're at and help them move forward into an abundant life and move forward into healing. So this is why it's important that we talk about these things. I know they're difficult things to talk about. I know they're difficult to understand. I know that part of you is thinking, I just don't want to think about this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me for always making that noise. Um, but it's, it's important because we need to not only protect our own children, but the children in our communities and the families in our communities. And we cannot allow deception to continue to reign. Um, it doesn't mean that we're lacking in compassion. We're going to do this with great compassion and with great wisdom. So I want to read this scripture to you from Matthew 18, uh, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed that child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. 
The characteristic of a child is dependence and absolute trust. A child submits to authority and trusts what we tell them as fact. In this scripture, Jesus wants believers to come to him with the same childlike characteristics of absolute trust. Now, I also want to talk about the next scripture, which is how we stumble. So if anyone causes one of these little ones who who, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for, the ha- for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but the woe to the person through whom they come. So as Christians, right now, if you're listening to this, you're beginning to learn about the transgender movement. And woe to you if you don't do something. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a threat. What I'm saying is, is that we all have a responsibility And when we know truth, we need to share that truth. We need to share it compassionately and with logic. We're going to be tackling these issues with our hearts and with our minds and with our spirits. And we can do this together. And that's what my organization is about. It takes a family who's also a sponsor of this radio show. Um, It's important that parents and adults understand these things, that we understand the heart, the mind, and the spirit, so we can logically and compassionately respond to this in our communities and in our government. Um, So it's not enough to just be compassionate, but the compassionate thing is to also work within the law. Uh, What bills are being created in your state that are negating parental rights? What laws are being created in your state that would allow a teacher in your school to take your child and allow them to have an abortion during school hours and then bring them back to school for and for you never to know? Uh, the same thing with this transgender movement, um, that they're not telling you that your child is identifying as the opposite gender in school and that they're affirming that child. So if your little girl says, for whatever reason, maybe it's because she's been watching social media. Um, to think that she's actually a boy, the school doesn't tell you. Now, it's not within their rights to do that. They they are supposed to tell you, but they won't tell you. Um, Many children in in several states, I don't believe it's happening in Texas, but I I don't know. I just haven't seen a report of it, um, are that they're also receiving hormone treatment. They're getting the counseling. They're being affirmed as the opposite gender. And so we want to ensure that we have laws within our states and policies within our schools that do not absurd parental rights, which means you need to vote for city council because what's being taught in libraries you need to vote for your state board of educators whoever's on that board is helping to make decisions about what's happening at the school in texas you need to know or you need to be a member of your school shack which we'll talk about in another seg- in another radio show um, you need to vote for people who are going to protect your children and your rights as parents as the sole authority and primary educators of your teachers so this is why voting and learning about government and bills and being abreast of the latest issues is so important because if you decide to only focus on yourself, your church and your you know and your sphere of influence and don't take part in government, then eventually that government will be taken over by a worldview that you do not agree with and could possibly be harming your children and your family and the rights that you have over your own children. So here is a resource, and I'm going to hold it up because I'm also on video, and those of you on the radio uh, cannot see it. But if you go to my website, um, monicacline.com, you'll be able to see it. But here's some stats that I want to read to you before we have Aaron come on with us. Um, some of the facts are that that this has really become a trend um, solely because 
people are talking about it so much. For example, one of the statistics, and I'll share more when Aaron's here, is that in just seven years, there has been nearly 2,000% increase in children seeking treatment for sexual identity confusion in the United Kingdom. That increase, drastic increase, has a lot to do with a trend and not that this is a genuine um, that people, you know, truly are born in the wrong body. Um, and so it's important, you know, a lot of these studies that are in this book really show and demonstrate how a lot of this is being created and how our innocent children are easily molded into believing this. So um, I want to go ahead and we're in, in just a few seconds, we're going to take a break. And we're going to bring Erin Brewer on so that you can hear from her story, her firsthand story with experiencing gender dysphoria as a child, how her parents uh, responded, what kind of counseling she received, uh, what that was like for her, but also why is she fighting today? Why is it so important to ensure that we have access to counseling that can help children to overcome gender dysphoria? Because that's one of the things that she talks about quite a bit. Um, so I'm excited for you to hear her. Also, make sure that you go to itakesafamily.org to, to find that resource. And I'll make sure that you get that before we get off the, the loans, uh, off the show. But I'll be right back after this break. This is Monica Klein, and you're listening to The Monica Klein Show. It Takes a Family is the sponsor of this show, so please consider donating to the organization by going to www.ittakesafamily.org. Welcome back, and we have Erin Brewer with us today. Hi, Erin. Hi, Monica. Hi. I'm so happy so, to be here this morning. Oh, I'm so glad you're able to be here. Um, yeah. You're in Utah. And, uh, and, and I'm in Texas, and so, but we've been able to have some great conversations together over the phone. Erin uh, and I met at the Eagle Forum Conference, the Educational uh, Policy Conference and Eagle Forum, um, and we were talking about the sexualization of children, and so we were both presenting at this conference together, and, and it was really just a blessing to be able to meet her. Ms. Erin, I'll give her a, just a short... Um, introduction. And what I said before is that, you know, Erin Brewer has experience with gender dysphoria um, as a child, and she was able to overcome that because her parents, her family were able to, chose to affirm her as a female. And she received counseling that allowed her to be comfortable in her, as she was born, as God created her. Um, and so we want to talk more about that. And, and Miss Erin, I know that you have been really busy traveling, not only speaking, but even testifying at different um, states regarding bills, either for or against bills to protect children. Um, and so, I, but I also want to go ahead and start off with just asking you more about your experience in childhood, what triggered the gender dysphoria, what that was like for you. And really for this whole segment, it's really just to um, help parents understand what to do and how to compassionately respond to, to this. Well, and it's interesting because when I first started speaking out about this, I knew very little about it. I only knew my experience, but the more I started talking about it, the more I, I found out that my experience, unfortunately, is very common. And so um, between, the, between um, kindergarten and first grade, my brother and I were taken into a public restroom at a park by two men at knife point, and I was sexually assaulted, and my brother wasn't. Mm -hmm. And as it was happening, I made eye contact with my brother and I thought, I'm going to be a boy now. I am never going to let this happen to me again. I'm going to, I'm no longer a girl. And I had so much shame and self-hatred regarding my, myself being a girl that I adopted a transgender identity. And 
Um, so when I went to first grade, my teacher was really concerned because I had gone from being kind of a quirky, happy kindergartner to being this incredibly angry kid who kept saying, my name is Timothy, I'm a boy, who didn't want to be forced to play with the girls at PE, who wanted to be treated like a boy. Um, and so she was really concerned. So she referred me to the school psychologist. And I am so thankful the school psychologist did not affirm my trans identity. Instead, she realized that there was something really troubling to me. And I didn't tell her about the sexual assault. At the time, I was so filled with shame and felt so dirty and ugly because of it. I didn't mention it to the school psychologist. Mm. So she didn't realize that that trans identity was a result of the sexual assault. She just knew I was a very troubled little girl. And so she came up with a very simple plan to help my parents and my teachers um, kind of help me feel more comfortable with being a little girl. And there were really simple things like um, showing me positive role models of being a girl, getting me involved with uh, Brownies or Bluebird, which are organizations for little girls, much like Boy Scouts. Um, and my teacher also put me in a group of kids who had communication problems because part of my trans identity and acting like a boy was being aggressive because I saw boys as being aggressive. So I started to become both verbally and physically aggressive. And so this group was designed to help me and other kids like me um, use their use their words, as they say now. Right, right. Um, yeah. No, right. You know, it, it's, it's not an uncommon thing um, that your experience, and I shared in a previous show that I had also been sexually abused as a little girl. And I also came to the conclusion that had I been a boy, it would not have happened. Right. Um, I, I, I started to become more and more boyish and masculine. Now I already kind of was, I was a little country girl and I loved to shoot guns and, and <laughs> do everything boys did and get frogs out of the ponds and things like that. Um, I love doing that, but it, it, I also like yourself just thought if I were a boy, you know, only girls are, are harmed sexually is, is what was in my mind. And for a long time, I, even though I didn't change my name, I really thought I, I'm a boy. As long as I don't go through puberty, I'm a boy. Right. And, there's and a I, small, yeah. I know now that boys do get sexually assaulted. Right. And some boys who are sexually assaulted develop a trans identity for the very same reason, mm -hmm. because they think, well, if they were a different sex, they wouldn't have gotten sexually assaulted. So I find that interesting because at the time when I was a girl, I never heard of anything like that ever happening to boys. Um, and so to me, it, it felt very safe to to present as a boy and, and do what I could to, and, and unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, I didn't do a particularly good job because I'm a petite, I was a petite girl. Um, and so it was, it was hard for me to present as a boy, which meant that I tried to uh, take on a lot of the affect, you know, the, instead of, you know, since I didn't look like a boy, I was going to act like, you know, the biggest, machoist, bulliest boy I could be as, as, as part of my trans identity. And, and, and to me, what's sad is in your case where you were just acting more like what we call a tomboy or we used mm -hmm. to call a tomboy. Right. Um, if you were alive today, it's not unlikely that people would push you to, to transition and say, Oh, the reason you're acting like this is because you're actually born in the wrong body and you're a boy. And that narrative is so damaging to kids who already have that self-hatred and that shame then to be told that they were actually born in the wrong body. Really there's not, it sort of takes away any kind of self-efficacy to tell a child that they're born in the wrong body. Because what that means is there's really not much they can do mentally or emotionally or with thoughts to change things. They have to somehow change their body. And we know that you can't do that because our sex is in our DNA. So it really sets a child up for failure because they're told that there's something inherently wrong with them. 
And then they're told the only way to change that is to do everything you can to become, to look like something that you're not mm. and to just try and get society to accept you as something that you're not. So to me, it's really heartbreaking. What happened to me is, is sad. But when I, when I think about how much sadder my story would be if my school psychologist had said, oh, you're right. Your name is Timothy. You are a boy. Let's have you go into the boys' bathroom and the boys' locker room. Let's, let's have you um, take puberty blockers so that you don't develop into a girl. Let's have you take cross-sex hormones and, and have those surgeries. I can't imagine how... I can't imagine even having my life because for me, one of the things that was so affirming for me as a female, you know, I never got to the point where I was like, yay, I'm a woman. I'm like, you know, some people yeah. are that way. I never got to that point. But when I had my daughter, my first child, when she was born and they put her in my arms, I suddenly had this sense of this body of mine is good. It is beautiful. It created this wonderful, beautiful daughter. And I wouldn't have been able to have that experience if I had gone through those medical transitions. And that makes, and I know not everybody's going to have children and not everybody's going to have that feeling. But for me, that, that just gave me the opportunity to realize, oh, I am a woman. I really am a woman. Right. <laughs> and, and being a woman isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. Yeah. It takes time. But, you know, as you were talking about that, talking about setting up children for failure, thinking mm -hmm. that they could actually become something that they're not. Yeah. It also makes me think that, you know, that the amount of panic that they must feel of that there's no, nothing they can do to change themselves. Right. You know, is that part of that? Is that, is that part of what causes either families or the children and for families to then agree with the children to put them on puberty blockers and do the surgery? Is it the sense of panic and fear? I think it really is part of that. Part of it is that there are some states that have actually banned therapists from helping children who have a transgender identity as a result of a trauma. So in my case, um, that therapist now, it would be illegal for her to have helped me to understand those feelings and another therapist I went to. And so in some is cases- Is that illegal in every state? It's not illegal in every state, but if the Equality Act is passed, which um, which it's already passed Congress, it hasn't passed Senate, but if it gets passed, it will be illegal in every state. So therapists will um, legally be mandated to affirm a child's gender identity, which means that they will basically be, be legally mandated to lie to a child and to tell a child that they were born in the wrong body. And so part of it is that transgender activists are telling parents this, that, that their children are born in the wrong body. And compassionate parents are doing what they can to help their children. And, and unfortunately, transgender activists are actually um, oftentimes telling parents that their child will kill themselves if they're not allowed to medically transition. And that's just not true. And we know it's not true. There's research that it's not true. Um, and oftentimes these children are told if you're not allowed to medically transition, that's like the worst thing in the world. So, so the narrative from the trans activists is actually harming children by telling them they're born in the wrong body. There's nothing you can do to change that except to change your external appearance. And so they're really reinforcing all those negative feelings that child already has about themselves. So on top of feeling some fear and some panic about believing that you're in the wrong body, then the movement is also then teaching the children and the parents that they will become suicidal. That that is what's it, it that, that that is the progression. If you don't get affirmed, if you don't get the hormones, if you don't get the surgery, you're going to want to commit suicide. 
So then they start planting that seed as well, which again, creates more panic Mm -hmm. and more fear in the parent's mind, more confusion in the child's mind. But the research actually shows that when people transition, which there is not a a real transition, you cannot change your genetic makeup, Mm -hmm. but people who actually take the hormones and go through the surgery, Erin, tell me if this is correct, that after they fully transition, they have a honeymoon period of feeling kind of elated, like, yay, I got this done. Mm -hmm. But then their depression and their suicidal ideation comes back more, even stronger than before the transition. Is that correct? That's correct. And in fact, the the rate of completed suicides among people who fully medically transition is outrageously high. And so, and again, you talked about the honeymoon period. And one of the reasons, well, there are a lot of reasons for the honeymoon period. One of them is that if you give any person hormones, their physiology is going to react in a way that's going to make them feel that kind of elation. And so it's, a, it's sort of like saying, well, if I give my child heroin, they're going to feel better. Mm. And of course, they're going to feel better. But do we really want to give them heroin and make them heroin addicts? And so that's part of the honeymoon period. Another part is that the groups that they're affiliated with give them so much attention when they go through these procedures. So there's like a bunch of cheerleaders cheering them on. Yay, you had a mastectomy. That's so great. And they have doctors who are telling them they're going to feel so much better. And then within a period of, you know, maybe a couple of days to five years, that honeymoon period wears off and they realize what they've done to themselves and that that feeling of self-hatred and shame and that emptiness, that inner wound that they have wasn't healed by all of these attempts to transition. And now they're even in worse position because they've done all these things to harm their body. And a lot of these have uh, lifelong side effects that they're going to have to live with. And so to me, it's, it's so heartbreaking because the very thing that they're doing to try and feel better in the long run ends up harming them so much. And I just have so much compassion for these parents who are told this is the route you should take with your child. And they, of course, they're going to do what they think they need to do. Of course, they're going to do what they think is going to help their child, but they're given misinformation. And what most, most parents are never told is that the vast majority of children who have a trans identity, if they're allowed just to, just to progress normally through adolescence, the vast majority of those kids will not have a trans identity after adolescence. Mm-hmm. That puberty actually is the cure for trans identity in most cases. And so actually no treatment in this case is the best treatment. You know, I, I, can, I can attest to that in, the, in, in my, you know, I, I can't say, I won't say that I experienced gender dysphoria necessarily because I didn't go that far. But what you just said about the puberty piece, I remember um, I was almost, I was literally one day from my 13th birthday and I had not started my period. And I thought, good, I don't, and I literally had this thought, I don't have to be a girl. I don't have to be a woman. And then as soon as it happened, as soon as I got it, I was so devastated because I thought that's it. Now I have to, you know, and I have these, again, children have these strange thoughts about what it is to, you know, in my case, because of the abuse, I thought that women were going to be vulnerable and they were always going to be attacked. And so this was very scary. Truth is, as I got through puberty, all of those fears went away. They started, you know, I, I was, I was fine. I was fine. Now, 
so Aaron, you know, your experience was, you know, more, a little, I don't want to use the word severe, but it was, it was beyond what I experienced. But Aaron, you're not the only one who's been through this as far as finding healing. And so, um, and we're, we're just a few minutes away from taking our next break, but I want to really talk about not only people who experienced this like you did in childhood and were able to overcome it with the right kind of counseling, which we want to be able to support, but also there are many people who did transition and are now trying to detransition. And what I'm finding is that a lot of those people are trying to speak out, but their voices are being muffled. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I have this radio show too, is that the media doesn't want to cover it. I've also read a lot of people who are speaking out about, you know, their regrets about transitioning um, and that they get a lot of death threats. I mean, there's a lot of violence against people speaking out against this. And, and I know that you've been doing this work for quite some time. Um, I think the solidarity between yourself and a lot of these people who've experienced this, whether they've transitioned or not, um, is really strong. And so when we come back from the break, I really want to explore that a little more. I want to explore um, not only the people who have transitioned and are now trying to detransition, and kind of some of the work that they're doing. Um, I, I also want to talk a little bit about some of the parents whose children are going through this and, and not just necessarily name any names or anything like that, but just kind of their stories about it. And also what are the existing resources? Like what can parents do? Um, what can we do in the school? Because one of the things that you mentioned that I've seen in sex education as well is this movement, not only the transgender movement, but the LGBTQ movement. Uh, and even though the T is an LGBTQA, it's still kind of a different movement. Um, and, and one of the questions that I've been asked by people is how are they so powerful? How, how are these kids able um, how are they able to dismantle everything in the school and start putting this information in the school? And one of the things is something that you mentioned, it's the activism and it's that sense of purpose that these organizations are giving kids. So if we can talk a little bit about those things in the, in the next segment, um, that would be really helpful because I really want parents to have access to these resources and have a full understanding of what's happening and how they can advocate uh, for their beliefs, how they can advocate for their children and not just their children, but all children, right. all children, this isn't an us against them. This is the protection of all children. Right. Uh, there's a deception out there that is taking the identities of children. And not only do we have the truth of God on our side, but God, the creator, he is the, also the author of science, mm -hmm. you know, so we have medical accuracy on our side as well. So we'll be right back and we'll start again. Hi, this is Monica Klein, and you're listening to the Monica Klein Show, the Monica Klein Show. I don't know what I did with my voice there, but anyway, uh, thanks for sticking in there, sticking with us. And we have Erin Brewer with us, who is talking about the transgender movement. And in this last segment, we really want to talk to our body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to talk about how do we respond compassionately to the transgender movement? What can we do? Uh, whether your child is experiencing gender dysphoria, or even if you're not, if your child is not going through this, but you still need to be able to give your child an answer because the truth is they're going to hear about it. 
It's everywhere. It's on social media. It's in the schools. It's just in our, it's in the world. And so you, you parent want to be your child's greatest advocate. You want to be their primary educator on all things, not just scripture, not just the things that you talk about in your home. But the truth is, is that we as parents need to be the leader in speaking to our parents, to our children about the culture so that they know how to respond when they're confronted with that at school or on the playground or at a sports event, whatever it may be, you want to arm your children with facts and wisdom, and they need to know that you've got their back. So in this segment, Aaron and I want to really kind of start a conversation about how we as Christians can educate ourselves, equip ourselves, and lead this conversation in our very own homes and in our churches. So Aaron, during the break, you had mentioned how important it is for you to want parents to have this information and especially Christians. Um, why especially Christians? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I am relatively new Christian. Um, I was baptized uh, about four months ago, I guess. And I had assumed um, when I kind of became a Christian that, that most Christians would, uh, would know about this issue and would have a good sense of how important it is to stand up for our children regarding this issue. And I was really surprised to find out that very few people in my church had any idea even what was going on. And a lot of them really didn't want to know what was going on because it's uncomfortable. And it is really uncomfortable. But I feel very drawn to this as a Christian because, first of all, we know God doesn't make mistakes. God does not put someone in the wrong body, that that makes no sense mm -hmm. theologically. And also because um, as a Christian, there are certain parts of myself that I have had to confront. And if you are a Christian and yet you're holding on to this lie that somebody can be born in the wrong body, it's going to be hard for you to really get close to Christ because you're holding on to a fundamental flawed belief. And children who are gender dysphoric, if you tell them that they're born in the wrong body, that is also going to prevent them from building a good relationship with Christ because they're going to feel like God let them down by putting them in the wrong body. And, and, and I also feel like part of being Christian is, for, is to really fight the good fight, to stand up for, what, for, our, for our values, that that's, that's an important part of being a Christian, not just going to church, not just reading the Bible, not just paying your tithes, but really standing up for what's important. And I realize one of the things is, is that a lot of parents, a lot of Christians, they don't realize how to stand up for this. They don't understand what's really going on. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is language because language is so powerful and you mentioned it before. Mm -hmm. And so when you read a newspaper that says something like Idaho just passed a transphobic law, which, which a lot of the media is saying right now, or Idaho just passed a law banning transgender athletes from competing. You need to be able to drill down into that and say, what, what's this really about? Because the media and the, and our, transgender activists and allies are really perpetuating um, lies and they're using language to do it. So in the case of the, the recent Idaho law, that law does not ban transgender athletes from competing. What it does is it says that, that a person has to compete 
with people of the same biological sex as themselves. So if there's a transgender athlete, they're more than welcome to compete, but they have to compete against people who have the same biology as they do. It's not transphobic and it's not banning transgender athletes. In the same vein, the conversion therapy ban, a lot of people don't understand the implications of the conversion therapy ban. And they say, oh, well, this is a ban that prevents um, poor gay people from being electrocuted. That's what most people think the ban is. And yet these bans prevent therapists from helping children who have gender identity issues. And so uh, rather than and reading the media and just taking it at face value, sit with your children and really discuss it and say, and go to the, go to the source. If there's, if there's an article in the paper about something that's transphobic, rather than just assuming it is in fact transphobic, go to the original source and look at it and say, you know, what is this really about? And why is it that the media is spinning it the way it is? Right. Because if the media actually reported accurately, nobody would be upset about it. Most people feel like biological people should compete against people of the same biology. I would right. say 90% of people agree with that. And yet the media knows that if they printed that Idaho banned males from competing against females in um, athletics, people would no, be like, good, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what we want. Or if they printed something about conversion therapy and they said, this man is going to prevent therapists from helping children who have gender identity issues that are um, the result of a trauma. Right. Most people would be like, oh, that, that's horrible. We don't want to ban that. We want kids to get the help that they need. Right. And so a big part of it is education, but also being very aware of what's going on in your schools. So, so go to your school's website, talk to your kids about what, what they're being introduced and really be proactive about it. Don't wait for your kid to come home and say, wow, I just heard that you could be born in the wrong body. Don't wait for them to get that message elsewhere. Sit right. down and talk to them and say, you know, just as, just as somebody might encourage you to smoke a cigarette or have premarital sex. Some prevention. Yeah. Right. To really, to, to, to approach this in a proactive way. Right. And I want to mention, I'm going to hold this up for people who are viewing oh, yeah. the show, but I'm holding yeah. up an amazing resource called Responding to the Transgender Issue Parent Resource Guide. And a coalition of, of organizations put this together. And for parents who are listening right now and wondering, well, how can I lead this conversation when I just, y'all said some great things, but how do I remember all of that? I want you to go to my website. It takes a family.org. Go to, go to the resources tab and you will find this resource and it is fantastic. And one of the things that Aaron mentioned and I mentioned too about language, how important it is. Well, Dr. Critella spoke with us at this, at the Eagle forum conference recently. And one of the things that she said that really stood out to me about language is that our, that our biological sex is called sex. Mm -hmm. It is our sex. Um, that is the scientific term, male and female. What is your sex, male or female? Right. Our um, birth certificate records our sex. Our sex. And yes. gender, Erin, I believe, is the, the way we perceive ourselves mm -hmm. or our, is it the way we perceive our sex? Is that, is that right? It's more the way we present ourselves. And, okay. and people, you know, it's very complicated because 
Um, one of my concerns about the transgender movement is that they're really reinforcing negative stereotypes about what it means to be a male or a female. That's true. Um, and they talk about it being performative. So, so you perform your gender, but now they're, they're starting to, to merge that. And this is how they've, they've gotten so tricky is that they say they want, they want to be affirmed in their gender. And yet now there are lots of states where both children and adults can have their sex at birth changed. Yeah. from male to female on their birth certificates. And so so they originally started out with gender, but now they're saying that their sex is not related to their genitalia, that their sex is based on their belief. And that's where it gets really scary because you're basically saying that what you believe is the truth rather than biological reality, rather than um, what what is actually happening. And And that gets really scary when you start telling kids that whatever they choose to believe is the is true is true, and that right. other people should affirm that truth for them. Right. And so, um, you know, Michelle says this a lot, and it's one of the first things that I that I kind of um, bristled about too is that uh, transgender activists will talk about sex assigned at birth, but sex is not assigned at birth; it's recorded at birth. And mm -hmm. so, the idea of changing a birth certificate is from male to female is just as ludicrous as changing the time of birth or the state at which you were born or the year you were born. And I have a feeling that, that that's where this is going is that at some point somebody will say, well, I know that I'm 40 years old, but I feel like an eight year old. So I want to have my birth certificate changed so that I can go back to first grade and, and be a first grader because that's how I feel. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about. That's no different than suggesting that somebody's sex can be changed. Right, right. And, and what's also happening that I'm seeing, Erin, is that um, the harm that it's causing everyone. So in the resource guide, you know, it really points out that this isn't just oh, changing, uh, like well, having a, a boy who identifies as a girl going into a girl's restroom in a school. It it doesn't just affect him. It affects 100% of the people around him. Exactly. It affects the girls as well. Um, there's cases where grown men in prison who are also sex offenders identify, say that they identify as women and start to dress like women, which I don't know how that's even possible in the prison. I don't, <laughs> but anyway, um, and there's been cases where those biological men who identify as women are being put into female prisons and they're sexually assaulting the women in exactly. the women's prisons. Um, there's also a study in 2018 that showed that, um, that, that three times more voyeurism offenses happened in target retail stores after, after the public announcement of their mixed sex restroom and fitting policy, uh, fitting room policy. So we're seeing that, that this is creating it. it there's so many complications and so many negative uh, ways that this is impacting our our people. Well, and I'm only, glad. We, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that the hypocrisy, I guess, that really bothers me is that the left talks about consent and that it's important to get consent, and yet girls who are forced to undress in a locker room where there's a biological female are not allowed to give consent. So really, what the message is is that. If you're a biological female, your consent doesn't matter. Right. What you matters more? Right. And, and so that's one of the things that concerns me about this movement is that it's really eroding um, 
the idea that that girls have a right to privacy, a right to their, to, you know, to whether or not their bodies are seen naked by biological males. They're and not allowed to say no. They're not allowed to say no. And teachers aren't allowed to say no. And parents aren't allowed to say no. And so in spite of the fact that the left says that it's interested in promoting consent, its actions are showing that that's just not the case. And Erin, I have such a problem with the word consent because the consent is to, is to give a yes. I consent to do something. I, I give a yes to something. And really for our children, we need to teach them refusal skills. We exactly. need to, you know, when it comes to sex education and as well as this um, example that you just shared about a boy being in, in a girl's restroom or locker room, she, a young girl and young boys should be taught the power of saying no, of mm -hmm. saying, I refuse for that to happen to me. I refuse for this to happen. I refuse for you to teach me this. I refuse to, for you to expose me to this information. I refuse, you know, the power of being able to say no. No is not always, no is not negative. No is setting a boundary. And what right. we're basically saying is that our children and especially our young girls are that the power to say no has been taken from them, which is meaning that the power to set a boundary for their own safety has been taken from them. And this is for boys as well. I've also read articles about boys in the, you know, in sports who had a girl come in, you know, who identified as a boy. And it really was, it was hurtful to them. Mm -hmm. It was very harmful to them and their coach, I think, supported them. And so both boys and girls should be given permission and given education uh, about the power of no and the power of being able to set boundaries. Um, and this was, this is amazing. And there's, Erin, there's just so much more I want to say, and we only have two minutes left on this show. Uh, <laughs> wow. I know, I know. <laughs> But so much of this information can be found in responding to the transgender issue, the parent resource guide that you can find on my website at takesafamily.org. Um, if you have questions about this topic, uh, feel free to email me. If you've got a question for Erin specifically, um, you know, I, I can give her time, you know, to share her information or you can email it to me and I can get it to Erin. Email me and say, this is for Erin and I will forward it to Erin. Because this this information is really important, and we want to also be able to give you resources for counseling. And I want to tell you that this is in this resource guide. There's re there's a lot of list of counselors that are available, medical doctors that are available to help um, in a compassionate way to help children I identify again with the sex that they are at conception. Life begins at conception, and, and our really encourage. Yeah, I really yeah. encourage parents, if you do have a child who comes home and says that they're struggling with gender confusion and they need a therapist, to make sure to um, interview that therapist before taking your child there and make sure that that therapist isn't going to reinforce those negative ideas that the child has, because yeah. a lot of therapists will do that. And I would encourage you to find a Christian therapist, if at all possible. Very good. Thank you, Erin. Well, I, I, uh, I, I'm so glad that y'all were able to hear from Erin today, a real, a real life story um, of what this is like and, and really a, a positive story because this is a story mm. that proves that our children are not going to be, um, I don't know what word to find, but that they won't be sentenced to a lifelong 
you know, sentence of, of, of believing that they're not in the right body. Uh, there is hope out there. I hate to end our time together, but if, again, if you have questions or comments about this show, please email me at hello at monicacline.com. If you have specific questions for Erin, uh, just put her name in there, say, please forward this to Erin and I will get that to her. Erin, um, thank you so much for taking the oh, time you. to speak to our Central Texas people about <laughs> yeah. your experience and giving them some great information. God bless you in the work that you're doing. And I hope we can um, have you on again or just do some more work with you in the future. Thank you so much. It was really an honor. All right. Well, God bless you guys. And we'll, uh, we will, I will talk to you again mm-hmm. next Saturday. Get your coffee ready because I have got more information to share with you next week and it'll be fun. We'll share some good stories. Have a good day. Bye.